Hey everybody, Jake from Tasting Anarchy here. Wine can be really confusing. When you're starting out, it's hard to tell high quality wine from a bottle of Plunk. It can also get really expensive. Boy, have I found that out lately by looking at my bank statements. I did a lot of research to find a better way to buy quality wine without breaking the bank, and that's how I discovered an awesome website called Last Bottle Wines. Last Bottle Wines has fostered personal relationships with wineries across the world and offer one bottle of high-quality wine a day at 30 to 70% off. When the bottle is gone, it's gone. New day, New bottle, new savings. I recently ordered a Spanish Tempranillo. Y'all know how much Mason and I love Tempranillo. This wine normally retails for $74, and I got it from Last Bottle Wines for only 32 bucks. It's not a wine club, so there's no fees. Shipping is affordable and can even be free. You know Mason and I are always after the best wines at the best price. We want you to enjoy the same deal. That's why we got you this special offer. Some of our listeners have already taken advantage of the deal and are loving the experience. All you need to do is go to lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off your first purchase while helping your favorite Wine and Liberty podcast. That's lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off a delicious bottle of wine at 30 to 70% off. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Mason, meet Mr. Sue of the Sulectual Podcast. Hello, Mr. Sue. Now, Hello, Mason. Now, one of you guys, I, I can't remember, Mason, was it you or was it you, Mr. Sue, that had beef with one of the others? I think he had beef with me, apparently. Yeah. And I think he mess- you messaged it to me, Mr. Sue, on Twitter, but I couldn't remember what the beef was. So I told Mason, he's got beef, and then I couldn't remember what it was. So I was like, <laughs> but I don't know what it is, so you'll have to talk to him. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't beef. It was me feeling really, really sorry for him that he can't enjoy music like a normal human being can. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to ex- express my sympathies towards you, Mason. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I can't imagine living inside your head and not being able to fully enjoy the joy of music in your soul. But I hope you can see past that. Well, I, not a problem from my end because I have no idea how it's any different. <laughs> so, well, you know. good. Well, how, like, uh, how did you yeah, how like, do you, you find know, out about without that? an arm? <laughs> how do you find out about that, Mister Sue? Because I listen to your show because it's like the best show. Well, and I, I also listen to Sounds Like Liberty, which is also the best show. Yeah, there we go. And, that, that's what I was driving yeah. at. <laughs> <laughs> Hamfistic Sedway. <laughs> so, if everybody wants to know what Mister Sue's talking about, they can go check out Mason's episode on Sounds Like Liberty, which I don't recall what number it was. Do you remember, Mason? I don't, but I'll look it up and just. A minute. Okay. All right. Well, oh, it's forty six. Oh, forty six. Oh. oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Everybody yeah. uh, knows our many appearances elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as the listeners can hear, we're joined by a, a special guest who's actually been on the show once before with just me, but this is the first mm-hmm. time that uh, you two have spoken to each other virtually. Correct. And the one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, Mister Sue, is we'll get into this a little bit more details later. Is I, I think it's because. I'm kind of the organizer of Childeberg, and Mason is the wine van driver. I wanted to have some of the podcasters on that are attending Childeberg just to kind of talk a little bit about it and tell everybody how hype. excited they are. Yeah, exactly. Hype, hype it up. 
Um, but you know, we can get into that a little bit later. But are you excited to are you excited to go to Childerberg? Both of you, I guess. I'm so stoked. I am. It's just really re- refreshing to find out that there's other anarchists in Texas. And I mean, it's a big ass state. It could fit probably five states. So I'm sure there's more of us that are hiding under rocks or crevices of the uh, the the great. Texas Plains or wherever, but no, <laughs> right. I'm I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I actually prefer day drinking than night drinking. However, there's probably going to be night drinking as well, since I'm uh, pitching a tent with Dino as well of yeah. the Dino Files podcast. But I'm I'm so excited, and I'm really thankful that we're all able to come together and organize this. And I'm not sure if there are out of staters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there are. There's but a few. If uh, if not, then it doesn't matter because we'll party hard without them. Yeah, there's actually well, there's at least one out of stater, given that I live in Virginia. So yeah, and there's and, and there's one count. and and there there <laughs> there's there's likely going to be one out of countryer. So yes, that'll be fun. What? Yep, your sorry. wife doesn't count. No, 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 not, not my wife, although she is coming, but <laughs> but we have another person who I want to announce right now because I don't know for sure if he's going to be able to make it or not, but uh, he's going to do his darndest and... Uh, oh, I mean, on. if he's if he's going to come, it's it's kind of a very quickly, if you're going to make a, a flight like the one I'm thinking of, yeah. you kind of have to probably arrange that by now. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he has, but it, but, you know, because we're on such different time zones, I don't always mm-hmm. ca- I don't always catch him online. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But that, you know, yeah. we'll talk more about that later, though. Uh, tonight, Mr. Sue, I you earlier sent me a bottle of wine, but I, from what I understand, you couldn't find your bottle opener, so you may not be sipping on anything tonight. Probably not, but my excuse is I can be responsible for one evening, which is like every evening, because I don't drink very yeah. often. I'm, I'm saving my tolerance for Childerberg. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> which I might pass out within 10 minutes if that's the case, but hey, yeah. it'll be the best 10 minutes of my life. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure to drag you into the shade. Yeah. And yeah. You, yeah that's, or, well. or, or the bus and just leave the AC. <laughs> if the bus has AC, it probably doesn't. Oh well. No, it, no, it does. It does. It it has AC. Oh yeah. Good. <laughs> oh yeah. Um. That's well, my actually, only trepidation about the trip is the Texas heat. Oh, well, you know, dude, it was like fifty eight yesterday. Oh yeah, it was cold. It was amazing. Yeah. I I mean I I did yesterday. I was supposed to go throw today or. For the, everybody who doesn't know, I do – well, I've newly taken up the Scottish games. Retaken up. Yeah, retaken up. And I was supposed to go throw today, but I, I've been not feeling great the last week or so. But I went to go watch my dad throw yesterday, and it was wet and cold. And my dad keep, keep kept coming over, and he's like, I thought Texas was supposed to be hot. And, Just yeah. wait, buddy. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. They were, they were mirroring Scottish, Scotland, man. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, I, no, tell me, tell me about this new uh, thing you picked up. Well, I used to do it a long. Well, I I wouldn't say I used to do it. I used to go. Is practice. this like shot put? Yeah, or they, are you yeah. like throwing Scottish yeah. goats or no throwing? It's like it's it's not shot put, but it's uh. Well, one of them is called Stone for Distance, and the other one's called the Bramer, and those are both similar to shot put. But you're not throwing a shot put; you're throwing a rock. So, um, so shot put is eh, archaic. Yeah, I mean, it's like. By it's the a, way, those words sounded just so Scottish. Okay, so it's yeah. a stone and a what? A Bramer. A Bramer. A Bramer. Which is Bramer? Yeah. Like with an M or like your brain? Like I, if oh, I don't have with an brain. M, Bramer, Bramer. Okay. So yeah, but I don't, I don't. Um, I don't actually know what it means, but uh, with a bramer, you you're throwing a larger rock and and you can't move your feet. 
So you have to stay stationary and throw it, and then they measure that. And then with the light, uh, with the with the the light stone, it's, it's kind of freestyle. You can throw it however you want to throw it, as long as you stay in this box. Um, but there, okay. but there's so a lot of other events. The, uh, Ultimate frisbee guys picked that up. <laughs> or like you gotta pass it, but you can't move. Yeah, uh, maybe I, I don't know, but like, there's I, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, there's other events too. So there's like uh, they they're called like the height events. So there's lightweight over the bar, heavyweight over the bar, which is you you've got these weights on a chain and you throw that up over a bar. That's that sounds so. It's it's fun, and there's uh sheaf sheaf toss, which is like you're you have a bass like a a bag full of bailing twine, and you and you use a pitch a pitchfork. <laughs> You use a pitchfork to throw that over a bar that's like, you know, be, my dad got it up to 26 feet yesterday, so he did, he did really well. Um, and then there's the caber toss, which is you're trying to flip a big telephone pole, and the hammer throw, which is, it's like a weight on the end of a long, uh, tube of PVC pipe, and you, you throw that, you're trying to throw that for distance. And, and that's, I think that's all of them. I think that's all the events. Jacob, I didn't know you were so cultured. Yeah. And so <laughs> exotic. Yep, yep. And my clan was there, and they were really excited to see me and my dad. So. Okay, okay. You might not want to throw that word around. Clan with a C. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and But I was asking them, I was like, so when's the next events? And they were like, next events? It's it's almost summer in Texas. We take that season off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not one to talk. I, I probably wouldn't last, like, an entire day doing that. Dude, that is core. Yeah, it was fun. Good for you. You found something you, not that you didn't have anything that you didn't like, but um no, that's that's very inspiring. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a good excuse to work out. I mean, not that I really need work, excuse to work out, but it's a good excuse to work out in a different way. Yeah. yeah it's, it's it's more like, oh, let me do these what once were practical events. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mason, what what are your excuses to work out? Uh my daughter so I want to live to see her do stuff and chase her. <laughs> she's nice. two, so she just runs like a crazy person. Well, there, that's your that's your home exercise right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but I do I do the more Russian style kettlebells. That's so. right. Yeah. Ooh, that's great. Fully kind of deal. I have a. Well, I I've been contemplating hitting that thing again. It just sits in my car. Uh, my my dumbbells as well. Like my car is basically like my. Mobile gym just got like a forty-five pounder kettlebell, mm-hmm. and uh, dude, that'll that'll definitely do it. So you have the twenty-four kilogram one? No, it's like twenty kilograms. Uh, I guess it yeah, says forty-five pounds. So yeah, because the twenty-four kilogram one is like the fifty-three and a half or something like that's the the one I've got right. I've got two. I've got a thirty-five pounder and I've got the fifty-pound one. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's not like I can do a whole heck of a lot with the fifty-pound one. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you just do like five swings, like that's pretty much like a, a half day workout or yeah. a whole day, depending on what you do. But like, it's working your, your entire body, so yeah. it, it's definitely following the the uh, the formula of doing less reps with more weight. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, you know, if you're having that affect like your arms and legs and core and everything, I mean, that's pretty much like a day's workout. So yeah. I don't know. It sounds like it, it'd be working for you. Well. Just have to be uh, like as Jacob was re- recovering. I have spent the last uh, three months recovering from some sickness, sickness or another that my bro- daughter brought home from preschool. So, oh yeah, yeah, That's... three months. Yeah, it's like oh, get sick here, get sick there, then oh, yeah, oh okay. flu. 
I'm like, does she get the measles? I know that's like a thing. No, no. She has the vaccinations. Uh-oh, okay. uh-oh. So, so you are a vaxxer. <laughs> I, think, I think Mason, Mason I, I, and I, I are... I might have to leave the show now. Yeah, I think Mason and I are actually both vaxxers, so... I yeah, am... I, I, I am neither an anti-vaxxer or, like, my daughter is vaccinated, but I don't think that not vaccinating your kids is the reason we're getting this huge, supposedly huge measles outbreak. And more on the conspiratorial side, like Lou Rockwell would be like, no, they're, that's it's really statistically theorist? not that bad. What was that? I didn't know it was a uh, conspiracy. Funny thing, though, I heard the most recent Bob Murphy episode with him on, and... Uh, he's gotten pretty paleo in his later age, and if I recall, '90s or like the late, maybe mid 2000s, he was he was very much anarchist. But I guess now he's more of a paleo anarchist. I don't know if he can like just sell his books better to. More- no, I, I don't think that's exactly it. I think that in his older age, he's uh, well. First of all, it depends on what he's talking about. He's very good at at kind of changing changing the way he talks about things for the subject. But also, I think it's is he does political commentary that is kind of more like given the given the paradigm right now, I'm going to talk about it this way. As but he's also he has I think become very culturally conservative, where he didn't used oh, yeah. to be that as as culturally conservative as he is now. But I think he sees you know things that I'm worried about is is that like I you know things that I value. You know, I'm much more culturally conservative than I'd say Mason. I think you're probably less culturally conservative than me. Mm-hmm. Mason is radical. Yeah, but <laughs> but it's not it's not that, and I think Lou Rockwell probably falls into this thing. Is I don't really care what other people do, but I would like a community that thinks and acts the way I do, and that makes me comfortable. So yeah, and I the thing is like I like Lou worked for the government in mm-hmm. like by being part of Ron Paul and like the Ron Paul organization for many years. Mm-hmm. So like I think he's still a very hardcore anarchist, but I think like the bigger thing is he's also in his I think he's in his late seventies at this yeah, point. Yeah, I think he's like yeah, think he's like seventy six or seventy seven. Yeah, it's just the level of expenditure of energy to get worked up because like if you hear him on Tom Woods a lot, like when they're talking about stuff, like you know Tom's a big anarchist as well, but neither of them are like very much like delving into like Jacob was saying like oh you know it's just more of like look my ultimate thing is no state like there's no point to have the state. But that's not the conversation we can even have at this point. So let's talk yeah. about what's going actually going yeah. on and what would be better if you were going to keep the paradigm. Right, right. Yeah, and always revert back to like being a constitutionalist. I'm doing a series of like each chapter of the Revolution Manifesto, mm-hmm. and it is great. And as much as the Constitution gets slapped around back and forth, I mean, if people did follow it, I mean, we'd be in a much better place so yeah you know it that's the thing that you know like tom woods or uh lou has to kind of revert back to it's definitely like a good home base yeah but um it it really is depressing on how much it is taken advantage of yeah and that's a good segue mr sue to talk a little bit about the pseudo-lectual podcast which is your show i mentioned it earlier i'm so happy that you're saying it correctly thank you what what did i used to say because I know you pseudo intellectual. That's right. Yeah, pseudo intellectual. <laughs> it's funny that there actually is a podcast called the pseudo intellectual. Oh, okay. Some Asian chick does it. Huh. Uh, but someone just drew attention to that. 
And I'm like, no, yeah, that's that's not me. <laughs> okay. So why don't why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your show? I know most of our listeners are are in in our kind of area or whatever, but we do have some that are not interested in politics at all. They're just here for the wine. But just if I'd like you to kind of introduce your show a little bit to them because your show is not all about politics. You do have a lot of culture in it as well. And uh, so why don't you go ahead and give just a little summary of your show and how what the format is? So if people want to listen, they can listen. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think it is more politics than anything. I didn't mean it to be, but I tried to make it more fun and listenable. And as uh, as some might say, it might be kind of more of like a soft landing for libertarian thought theory Mm -hmm. and anarchism but essentially (laughs) i i totally ripped off brian mims if he's listening Mm -hmm. i don't know but yo brian i stole comedy tragedy and i mean comedy culture liberty and i uh my slogan is comedy tragedy and culture because comedy and tragedy definitely go hand in hand as um i was actually discussing with uh will porter earlier today because we talked about the opioid crisis and whatnot yeah. and how that affects with uh you know afghanistan and it's really hard you know a journalist reporting on just all the tragedy that happens in the world you really have to take it on the chin and be lighthearted about it but so that's what i, I kind of try to do i mean i like to live by the motto like be serious about what you do but don't take yourself too, too seriously mm-hmm. huh, too seriously right. uh don't take take yourself too seriously have fun with it try to make these issues fun mm-hmm. um so, just like the breakdown, um, like the the episode at the beginning of the week is a li- li- words are hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> as you'll come to to uh, learn when you listen to my show. But the first episode of the week is just uh, like an interview I have with someone, or it's just my angle on a certain thing that, uh, like a, a principle of liberty. Like I said earlier, I'm going through like chapter by chapter of the Ronald Paul Manifesto. Um, really just for myself to just kind of like cram as much Ron Paul into my brain as I can before I go to the um, uh, Ending the War on Drugs conference mm-hmm. this coming Saturday. Not to date this episode, but we already talked about Childenberg. Yeah. Kind of already dating it. But um, yeah, it, it's just a topic that I choose and want to break down from my understanding. And again, people that are new to liberty, as much as, uh, as I'm trying to like share that with the, that audience, um, I'm just trying to kind of break it down in layman's terms. Like, here, this is really what it's all about. And I also try to challenge myself into I make the argument that everyone apparently, you know, liberty-minded, maybe not libertarian, but everyone wants like their own personal freedom and individuality. And the best way to do to just embrace self-ownership and own your failure, and really just it it it, it really comes down to like personal responsibility and really fulfilling your own self-interest because you know that goes hand in hand with fulfilling uh the self-interest of other people you know ergo mm-hmm. i pencil so that's what the first episode of the week is really about me breaking down a lemon's terms a, a liberty-based topic and then i'll do a weekly that comes out either friday or saturday and maybe in the middle of the week i will throw in like a a bonus episode if I want or an interview uh, but that's really what I'm trying to do just make liberty fun and approachable but also uh, educational to 
the very best I can. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good show. I enjoy listening to it. Uh, I think I'm two or three episodes behind, but I'm two or three episodes behind on everything. So um, <laughs> relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's so much to listen to, and there's so much good stuff, especially out of the liberty movement. Um, but uh, I guess here's another awkward transition. So, or not really an awkward <laughs> transition, but another transition. But I just made it awkward. Uh, you, Mister Sue, and Mason both are abstaining from wine tonight but mason you had a glass of chardonnay earlier and you and i usually kind of rag on chardonnay even though i'm we do i'm i'm kind of why i'm not sure why uh because honestly like when i I was thinking about it earlier i don't know for sure that i've ever had a chardonnay i'm i'm positive you have had one like the, the issue that i always had with chardonnay is like my mom drank a lot of chardonnay and it's not that she drank necessarily bad Chardonnay, but she drank the ones that she specifically liked that mm-hmm. had like more of her taste to it. And I don't really don't care for the standard Chardonnay flavor, but I've been cooking with Chardonnay more frequently. And as I've been cooking it with more frequently, I've been trying them because I get a different one each time to cook with and enjoyed it more so okay. this is like this this tastes like my mom damn it. <laughs> well what what did, what what do you think about that chardonnay you had with dinner mason um because i was eating spaghetti i didn't get a lot of the mm. the core right flavors of it yeah and i guess i, I guess like, like a drier red probably is better with something like yeah but spaghetti. it was also one of those ones where like my wife tried it and she was like i just mainly get pear and it was oh, um okay. the bachelorettes like the whatever they're you know like the i did the final rose which was their rosé mm-hmm. um which is the first rosé we did but then i also this is the chardonnay and it really wasn't it's not that I'm saying it's bad. It's just like I've never like had tried it before. So yeah. Well, I had a lot to choose from tonight, <laughs> uh, as and I haven't actually had a I haven't had a single glass of wine since last Sunday when you and I uh, had the last episode. Mm-hmm. Yikes! Uh, yeah, I know. I was well. I just <laughs> I, I started not feeling great on. Actually, I wasn't feeling terrific on last Sunday, and but I thought I was just tired because I had this last minute meeting in Utah that I had to go to. And so I ended up leaving here really late at night. And, and then I had an early morning meeting and, and then I had to leave early in the morning the next morning. So like, I just didn't get a lot of sleep. And so I thought maybe I just was, you know, sleep deprived, didn't feel well. And then it turned out, you know, I was sick, but, uh, so this is the first thing that Are I you like throwing up or no, no, I, just, I, no, I want to diagnose yeah. you. no, like a cold kind of just like my nose was stuffy and, and I had, oh. a, and I had a headache, and since when, you know, because you're, when your nose is stuffy, a big component of wine is the aroma. And it's um, not to just get drunk. Um, maybe several years ago it would have been, but <laughs> not anymore for me. Uh, but you know, if that's what, if that's what people want, that's what people want. But you know, Mason, you're privy to this and Mr. Sue, I don't remember if I mentioned it to you or not. I got a new wine rack. It's oh, very a, nice. Uh, a 36 bottle wine rack and my wine rack is now full. And, um, good, good. Yeah, and taking so, advantage of that promo code. Yep, yep, exactly. And um, <laughs> and so, anyways, I went through it and was like, "Well, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna, ha- I'm gonna pick a red because I always pick a red, and I only have actually six whites on there." <laughs> but uh, uh, so I picked a red, and what I'm drinking is from Oregon. It's from near Ashland, uh, so it's actually it's a su- it's a Southern Oregon wine because it doesn't have a um, specific appellation that it's part of. It is a red blend in the Bordeaux style. 
Uh, so mm-hmm. for for the listeners, and I don't remember, Mr. Sue, if you were familiar with this or not, but a Bordeaux blend is uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, Petit Verdot, and Merlot, um, or any combination of those. And uh, it's pretty good. It's it's fairly aggressive. I'm I'm hoping that my nose will clear up a little bit more. And I actually have a couple of bottles of this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested to know how this bottle compares to another one. Um, but it's it's pretty tannic. It's very acidic, and and mm-hmm. it's also has a as a hot a hot throat on it um but it's not very alcoholic it's only 13.5 percent for and for a red blend that's pretty low uh well i wouldn't say Isn't pretty low average yeah and when it comes to percentages i mean that's conservative right because of yeah. like what they need to get away with so in reality it's probably like 14 it, it and could it's be standard like 12 and 13 like i think that seems high well it depends so in on the west coast well california and southern oregon's not that far away from california California average is closer to fourteen or fifteen, mm-hmm. um, but Southern Oregon. I, I don't. I don't drink enough Oregon wine to know, and I don't drink when I do drink Oregon wine. It's usually uh, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Noir is going to be a little bit different as well. So this, to me, seems about right for a Bordeaux blend. Um, for a West Coast Bordeaux blend, though, it seems low to me. But overall, I think it's it's very good. It is much more similar to a uh, a Medoc Bordeaux, which I like better anyways. And um, but I, I I recommend it. Now this is the the kicker. This is the cool part. Okay. I got this from Last Bottle Wines. Mm-hmm. I think the listeners know how much I I plug Last Bottle Wines and how much I like it. Um, and it normally retails, according to Wine Searcher, retails for about twenty four dollars a bottle. Not not a very expensive wine, about a, a decent price. And it's for, average, yeah. And for this for this wine, twenty four would be great. But uh, Last Bottle had it for eleven. Um, and, nice. And so that was a nice deal. So, anyways, the wine is called um, Bella Fiore Numinos. Reserve. Nailed it. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to say it. But, uh, <laughs> Reserve <laughs> oh, no, Red twenty fourteen. Right. New Numionos. I don't know how to say it. Uh, I think you butchered that one. I probably did. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the key. Yeah. But I like it a lot. A lot of a lot of red fruit flavor, but it is very hot. That's one of the that's and by hot I mean it's got that alcoholy burn, even though it's mm-hmm. not a very high nice. alcohol. So it's it's. Oh, uh, that's odd. I wonder how. Yeah. How they. Uh, they get that. I, you know, like, I don't usually know. it's like the acidity because yeah. it kind of pulls the, like it kind of strips a lot of the flavor away from your tongue. So then you're you're getting a lot of the alcohol right behind it, at least in my opinion. And yeah. then, uh, Jacob, how long have you had it open? Uh, well, I just opened it before the show. So it, once it breathes, I'm, I, it might, it'll probably change a little bit. Yeah, because I mean like we've only been recording for like, yeah, I mean, I think if you had that open for an hour, hour and a half, it'd be like a different thing altogether. Yeah. I mean, and it's already. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. They're just like, oh, it's so cool. dynamics and just like little things you do. Yeah. And I, I know I, I'm like saying the obvious because like, that's what the <laughs> entire show is about, but it yeah. still kind of blows my mind. I really haven't drank wine in some time. Yeah. It, it's, I, I like it a lot and um, I recommend it if you guys can find it. I, I don't think they have, I think this was like the last, the last uh, supply at Last Bottle Wines, but mm-hmm. the, I mean, this winery is still around so they, they'll make new vintages. This is just the last that Last Bottle had for 2014. But, it's very good. So Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, um, can I go ahead and share what I would have drank yeah. had I found my bottle Ooh. opener? Go for it. Which honestly, I think it might be in my car mm. um so, like you just like does it snow a lot where you live in texas like you just need to weigh down your car or like I need to like i need to improve my gas mileage 
<laughs> oh, okay. So you're poking fun at like, okay, well, this guy's got dumbbells and a kettlebell in his car, and he's also storing wine in his car. No, um, that is just by coincidence. But um, where was I going with that? Sorry, I'm like trying to multitask and look at my drawers to see if for any reason there's a bottle opener. But nay. But had I uh, opened this bottle, it is I. You can either find this at Whole Foods or, unfortunately for the listeners that don't live in Tennessee now, and for uh, Jacob as well because he lives in Dallas. Yeah. So he doesn't get to enjoy the um, the the fruitful um, bah, 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 bah. Uh, just the benefits of AGB. It is the best grocery store in the whole wide world. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what kind of other example that you want to uh, uh, put up against AGB. But I got this guy. Uh, it's called Fit Vine. Um, it's supposed to have like lower carbs and stuff in it. It's just a healthier wine. But it was at AGB on sale for. Six ninety nine, and it's usually thirteen ninety nine. Nice. And I've actually had this since I want to say February. <laughs> I actually snagged two of it because naturally, like when it's that low, um, you're just kind of a, a dumb dumb for not taking advantage of that situation. So I will probably crack this open next weekend uh, when I'm at the uh, the Ron Paul event. But it's pretty, it's pretty dope. I believe I had this. It, right now, I have the Cabernet Sauvignon, and it is a 2016 from California, and it's got 13.9 percent alcohol. Mm-hmm. And from what I can remember, it was it was fairly good, um, a, a bit dry. Like uh, I like it. if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm I'm kind of like you know talking out of uh, out of my orifice right now. But I, I enjoyed it, and if you can snag a wine for this sheep at uh, this this kind of quality, then I highly recommend it. Mm, okay. Well, we'll have to check it out. And I got some yeah. good news for you, Mr. Sue. Wachitachi, or however you say it, Waxitachi, it's a city south of Dallas, about 30 minutes. Uh, they're getting a HEB. So Good. I'm yeah. so happy for you. Yeah, so it's only a matter of time before Dallas will start getting HEBs, I bet you. I'm darn right. I mean, they have <laughs> them in other states, I think. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of, like, Whataburger. I don't know. They're, they're, uh, yeah. no, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, there's they're, they're building one, like, just west of Fort Worth, and they're building one just south, I think, of – I don't know how to say the name of the city, but it's, like, Wachitachi or something, or Waxitachi. I don't know. But – uh they uh, they're building one Lee down there. Sash, maybe? No, I can I can message you the name. It's a crazy name. It's, okay. like, it's, it's <laughs> all right. Wack attack. It's W A X A H A C H I E. Oh yeah, I have no clue. So. Yeah. Wax attachy. Wax wax attachy. Sure. I don't know. I can't say it. I keep putting a T in the end, but it's not. There's no Why T not? there. I don't know. But I, you know, that's how I, I I roll though. Like if I think a word needs a little height, I just add in a T or an L or something like that. <laughs> So, uh, you know, one of them, one of them long letters, one of those long letters, <laughs> whatever works for you, man. Yeah. But that's cool. If they're going to be that sparse up there, then I think that that means that they're probably going to, uh, put an HGB plus in there. So oh, okay. you're getting the full package. So eat it up while right. you can. Yeah. Well, I'll have to. So do you guys want to, you know, we got about 20 minutes left in the, in the show. Do you guys want to move on to our news topic or you guys want to talk about yeah. Childerberg for a little while? All right. Well, I think the yeah. new, we'll do the news topic and then we can come back. 
Okay. So this is actually a pretty short news topic, but I thought it was interesting. And the reason I picked this, Mason, is because it, it concerns one of your favorite beers. Yes. Um, yes, it does. Dogfish Head, uh, mm-hmm. which I know that you are a big fan of their 120-minute IPA. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And um, so interesting story. Uh, it looks like Samuel Adams uh, Beer Company and Dogfish Head are going to be merging into mm-hmm. one gigantic beer company. Uh, well, <laughs> but I wouldn't call it can, gigantic. Can they, can they just like rebrand themselves as one gigantic beer? Yeah, they should. That they would should. Be a, that'd be a great if that's what the, the company became. <laughs> well, one or, thing- or they just have like um, like a, a, a limited time beer that just says one, it, that's named one gigantic. Mm-hmm. Well, every, yeah. every beer they make is blended. <laughs> Yeah. I, I used I used to brew. I should I should I should make a new beer and call it one gigantic. Um, you should yeah. wait. Oh, okay, a... is blending beer uh, common? Because that just sounds gross, and I'm beer ignorant. Um, but um, I mean, do they blend beer often? Or I mean, I used to drink black and tan a lot, and that is uh, usually like a, a wheat beer of some sort or pilsner mixed with um, like a porter or a stout or something like that. Yeah, oh, it, it's most of the time with beer, you take elements of a different style and put it together. But yeah, yeah it's rare that like you would purchase a blended beer somewhere. Yeah, right. Like, you it's know, somebody might be like, well, yeah, um, somebody might just be like, I've got still reserve and natty light and I want one giant cup and I'm going to blend it. <laughs> That's yeah. called being in college. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think yeah. that's that's probably how they came up with black and tans. Was somebody was just like, "Hey, I got a little bit of this left and a little bit of this," and they blend, they put them together. Fill my and, cup, damn it. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, like, I like, I wouldn't say I like black and tan better than I like any anything else. I, I like a lot of different beer, but I used, you know, Mason, when you and I first met, I think I drank black and tan a lot, or maybe about a year or two after we met. I think so, like, because I, I don't remember, like, having black and tan with you directly. Okay. Like, I know we both enjoyed it, but we were always kind of like, uh, we'll just buy a bunch of Yingling on yeah. his own. Yeah, that's true. So. Well, usually when I was when I was out, I would have it, and it would be like, I mean, usually it was a stupid mix. It was something like... Uh, like blue moon on the bottom or uh, well, actually no, the black is usually on the bottom. I think the tan is on the top. Is that right? I can't remember which, Usually, yeah. but uh, so it would be like Guinness and blue moon. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be like two of the kind of cheaper beers. Uh, I mean, I guess Guinness is not cheap. Guinness and, and, yeah. I was going to say, but, uh, but I mean of, of the stouts, I would say that's probably one of the cheaper stouts. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, I guess the closest to the blending. And then, you know, a lot of times too, Mr. Sue, when you're, when you're making beer, uh, if you're trying to get a particular, so one of the reasons they blend is to get a, a certain pro, flavor profile. But with wine, you can you really are only making one wine a year. Whereas beer, you can you can make them over and over again. You can make you know fifty beers a year if you if you have this equipment to do it. But with, is it just because hops are a lot easier to uh, ferment? Well, hops are not what or, or, or it yeah. happens faster. Well, the hops are not what you ferment. You're you're fermenting grain. And uh, oh, grain okay. sugars and and the hops are for preserving and bittering the beer. Ah, yeah. But so, but the grain is much easier to uh, ferment. I would imagine it's not that it's well, yeah. It's not that it's easier. It's just that there's grain all year. Yeah. It's well, it's faster and it's just all year long. There's grain available. Well, that's the yeah. thing is like you. It's very rare that the the grain is not expressing a lot of the times the flavor. So like in wine, the grape, the terroir. That the of the grape is a huge component to the flavor. Yeah. In beer, like you know, that's why you get like these 
milk chocolate stouts that taste like milk chocolate. They put a bunch of other things in it. So the yeah. grain does matter, like a rye beer compared to like a wheat beer. Yeah, or like roasted, that matter, ro- like roasted like, barley versus unroasted barley and things like that. So like there's a lot of things that go into it, but it's like as far as like the terroir, yeah, it's not really – that's not something. Yeah, but you can get – you know, like you were saying, you can get grain from say – you know, South Russia and grain from Northern, like these other places. And it's relatively the same, like as long as they're growing the same type of grain. Yeah. And it usually isn't an issue. Plus like from a grain perspective, Jacob, like mm-hmm. you don't need as anywhere near as much grain to make a beer yeah. as you do wine. Cause most of the liquid from wine is the grape yeah, exactly. itself in the production. Yeah. So like beer just you can produce more plus like if it goes off you haven't put a huge amount of resource into it just yeah. modernly yeah so yeah so the I sun mean, doesn't have to be setting at this angle and the grass doesn't have to be this tall or exactly. whatever yeah exactly like, like that the, the, the terroir is just out of the picture and you can really kind of make it wherever whereas i mean you're having to yeah. certain season for grapes and of course, just like the terroir and the atmosphere and everything around it goes hand in hand. So it's right. just a lot easier, more uh, feasible to uh, uh, have grain ferment. Yeah. Because you can really get the ingredients from anywhere, like import them, and then boom, like once it's done ferment, yeah. throw them in there. Yeah, and, and there are things that, that come into factor or to play as well. Like, I mean, so you mentioned hops. Like, that's one thing that, you, Mason, you remember when they had that big hop shortage like mm-hmm. seven or eight years ago? And, yeah. and that did, that played a huge, that did play a huge part in beer because it changed a lot of what the craft brewers were making. So they started doing like kind of odd things with, uh, different types of hop hops that I was just not really that crazy about. Um, they had a lot mm-hmm. of like soap hops and stuff and I'm not, I'm not a soap hop fan, but no. it's, it's sort, <laughs> it's sort of along the same lines as if you, you know, how like people like or dislike cilantro. Some people like soap hops. They're just not my favorite. Yeah. Um, soap hops, like yeah. a bar of soap hop. Yeah. They're yeah, called soap so hops. There's, there's a common hop used in your And I'm so sorry. We're not getting to the news story, but this no, is it's fascinating. Fine. It's fine. It, yeah. So there's a common European hop type and Nate, jacob and i we one point isolated the name of it yeah but to jacob and i it both tastes like you've just dunked a bar and soap in the beer yeah yeah and oh. it's really off-putting yeah it's not called like, they're not called soap hops they're called soap, yeah they're called like uh i could have this completely wrong but they're called like potpourri hop no i can't remember <laughs> what they're called but they're they're it's something it's something yeah, like it's, that it's um, this it's this hop variety and i can't you know like can't for the life of me remember like what the name of it is but it it's very common in a lot of the more classic European beers that are hopped. And it's just, it's so off-putting to Jacob and I. And like, he was kind of like, this tastes weird. And I was like, yeah, it tastes like soap. <laughs> We're both like soap hops. So like, it's our yeah. kind of keyword to it. But yeah, so like when I read this article, like, I don't, it's, it's not that I don't think the Boston Beer Company is like good for brewing because they they do do a lot of interesting and unique stuff yeah i mean you and, like, you and i used fish to be head. big fans yeah. of a lot of their stuff yeah and dogfish head used to is like the 13th largest brewery in the country but to me dogfish head is still very unique in the things they do yeah and yeah. they're still like, craft they're you know and, yeah, and te- still, i guess is technically still saying something like i don't know how many brewing companies there are i'm sure there's a, a plethora yeah. But is 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 thirteen still like a badge of honor? That, that is, also, that's big. 
the shareholders of Dogfish Head are getting $174 million in the sale. So, not enough. like, Ballast Point, which got bought out of San Diego, um, you know, like in 2015, went for a billion dollars. Um, and but I don't think Ballast Point was as large of a brewery as Dogfish Head. But like Dogfish Head is like, and that's kind of the difference with Dogfish Head is like they are very unique in the things that they do and pursue. And I don't know if a lot of the creative talent that they had in their beer choices is going to leave. Yeah. So and, like and, and one kinda... of the the difference too, I think that ballast one was a buyout, whereas this is a this is a merger. Um mm-hmm. so now granted Dogfish Head, I, I don't think they're gonna get anywhere near uh controlling stake, but they they are I think that uh the family of Dogfish Head they what was it they received like four hundred thousand I have to pull the article up again, but uh, I think they're receiving like four hundred thousand shares in the Boston Beer Company. I thought it was more like thirty one thousand valued okay. at third three hundred dollars a share. Okay. So I mean it was a, it's a significant like the thing is it's a significant win for that family. Yeah. And yeah. it's very you know very hard work and yeah, everything like them. that. Yeah. It's an American but, dream. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing is like for me like I like the like we don't like be, you know I I live I've been to the Dogfish Head uh restaurant in Ocean City, Maryland or oh, Delaware. There's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a restaurant. Um like a brew pub. And like I've been there and had, you know, some of their stuff, but like they don't penetrate like all of their exotic stuff down that far down here. So I don't know if it's going to suddenly be a lot more of this being available. But one of the things that drives me insane about Sam Adams is like every seasonal pack of Sam Adams includes Sam Adams, Boston lager. Yeah. Like, Oh, the winter pack Boston lager. Yeah, I get it does. It's a wintery beer. That's fine. (laughs) But like the summer pack, Boston Lager. Like, I get it. Like, the guy, you know, who started the Boston Beer Company, he's really into that beer. That's fine. But they do make a huge variety. It's like, look, just drop the Boston Lager from this. Let me try something else. So I don't want, like, Dogfish Head to be suddenly putting out sample packs and it's like 60 minutes in it, 60 minutes in it. And then. Well, is that variety not selling as well? Do you think maybe that's why they are taking a chance in buying uh, Dogfish Head? No, they're, they're. They're exotic flavors and whatever no they had a, like the, the they had an or... incredibly profitable quarter they're just flush with cash yeah so, oh and, yeah and, and, and i think this, i mean this um, is this is this sort of mr sue this this sort of reflects um i wouldn't say a trend in the industry but this is you know the so beer is is growing in popularity still and it still has a lot of room to grow and one of the places that the larger uh, makers and, and you know Samuel Adams did start out as a as like one of the leaders in craft brewing, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're much bigger now. But one of the things that a lot of them have a problem with is appealing to well you and people like you and me, Mason, who you know want craft brew. They want we want the smaller the smaller mm-hmm. batch things. The things that are a little more unusual, a little more interesting. And and you see this in like um, you know Coors buying Blue Moon. Uh, you know almost I think probably fifteen years ago now well, they but, created Blue Moon. Or did they create like, it? They just they made it out of whole cloth, as far as I know. Oh, I thought that they bought it from somebody, but maybe I, maybe yeah. they did. But like they, but they purposely didn't tell anybody it was them. Yeah, and everybody thought it was scheming. But like when you look at the statements from the people, it's like no, we like yeah. what they were doing. We just left them alone. Yeah, and didn't and didn't didn't somebody buy Fat Tire not too long ago too? Um, and Fat Tire kind of started that way too. Or maybe I, I, I maybe think tires, somebody else. Fat Tire is like and completely owned by the the employees as far as i know but maybe oh, okay. it did get bought out okay I, I could be completely wrong uh but 
the anyways the, a lot of them are trying to now come out with these things that appeal to, to the people who are more interested in craft beer and i think maybe sam adams is getting to the size at least where they are no longer specialty beer or um and that makes it kind of difficult for them so they're gonna buy somebody who, who's a, now granted dogfish head is a very large producer still um and uh-huh. but it still has that appeal to people like you and me that they're making this kind of interesting stuff that is unusual and, you know sam adams still does too like one of my favorite you know you you and me used to love this was that winter lager that they had the uh, mm-hmm. uh snow beer i think is what you called it um, <laughs> i love that yeah yeah because yeah, that's what that's what it was definitely um yeah definitely what we called it but um yeah like that's the like one of the things i really liked about dogfish head is like the 120 minute that they made was like 19 percent alcohol by volume it's just this intensely crazy beer yeah and i just don't know if things like that are going to get shaved off of it also yeah. jacob apparently delaware lawmakers really helped in the merger to it Ooh, okay so, well uh, you know i was going to congratulate them but now that delaware lawmakers were involved i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah i'm ready for the part of the story where we say screw the state so yeah. is this where that comes in um no i well, mean the, the thing the, is i i, I only the article we initially led didn't really give us any of that. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I picked this specifically because Mason likes their 120-minute IPA, and I just thought it was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Like, I, I'm actually all in favor of companies merging and growing larger, um, and in particular, this is – economies of scale can be very good in competition with other large companies, and also economies of scale can be very, very beneficial in dealing with things like what we spoke about last weekend, Mason – or uh, yeah, last weekend – was the 600% increase in beer tax in Nebraska. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, a, that's a substantial add to cost, and when you scale up, even though you will be paying more money in taxes, ultimately you are saving a lot of money in other areas by being able to negotiate on scale or by producing in uh, larger facilities outside of the state, that kind of thing, and, and spread spreading the cost elsewhere. Can you just explain that a little bit? Because it sounds like what you were trying to say is that if, if beer is really going to increase in price, other goods or commodities will decrease in price or I mean, what, how, what, so, what do you mean yeah. by that? So economies of scale, um, basically let's say that, well, and this is a good example is, you know, I want to go buy some grain and I want to go make a beer. I can go buy a certain amount of grain and I get, you know, let's, let, let's, I'm making up numbers, but let's say that like it costs me 20 bucks to go buy the, the amount of grain that I need to make five gallons of beer. Well, for the, the people who are selling me the grain, they need to make a profit and they're also taking a risk by buying grain and storing it in their place. So in order to make a profit, they need to make a little bit more on everybody. But with somebody like Samuel Adams, they can bypass the middleman, go directly to the farmers. So they save some money on there. Plus they can save a lot of money by buying in vol- the volume. So you know you you almost always get a volume discount because it's it's helpful to the people who are making the product. So Samuel Adams now they're let's you know let's say that they're adding thirty percent to their production now that they own Dogfish Head, um, their total production. So now instead of buying you know I I don't even have numbers, but they're buying well, me, they're buying thirty percent more grain, so they're going to get a more substantial discount. They also control a larger share of the market, so that helps them with negotiation. Um, yeah, and advertising packages. So like yeah. the, the ultimate example of economies of scale is thinking about a Ford 
like a Ford or a GM like manufacturing plant. When you go and make one build one car, it's incredibly difficult. You have to make all the new machines, but when you make the millionth car from that line, it, you've got it down pat and you know exactly what to do and the cost of the equipment is broken out across those millions of cars or you know hundreds of cars and think whatever the amount of cars is. So it's just this scale that you get where you get so large that the unit cost of each item go, gets lower and lower. And part of that is... Oh, so know, it's like, like marginal utility. Yeah, kind, kind of. Kind of, yeah. It's, it's one way to kind of... It comes into it, but it's just the the scale of the operation is so large that they inherently reduce costs. So like two, two offices merge. Well, you don't need two, need two payroll departments. So I can now pay the same amount of people with one payroll department so I can cut 15 employees. Right. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it is exactly what uh, the name implies, like scaling. Yeah, exactly. And eventually it's kind of like buying in bulk. You are a company kind of just like merging together. I don't know. I'm stating the obvious, but yes, that that is a much clearer picture. And there's other places where where they save doing this too. I don't know how how many places Dogfish Head is sold. I mean, they were it was available in Virginia, and I don't buy that much beer anymore, so I don't really know if it's available here. But, you know, Samuel Adams is, is available for here for sure. So let's say that, that Dogfish Head wasn't available in Texas, and, and it, it probably is, but let's say that it wasn't. Well, Samuel Adams already has a distributor here. They already ship here. They've already gone through the law, uh, all of the regulatory red tape for this. They know how to do it. So now Dogfish Head can enter a bunch of new markets as well. So there's... And then when they go to buy new equipment, yeah. you get the same discount like because you can buy at that. And then also you can take a risk in expanding your operations because you can soak some of the profit out of Samuel Adams to expand the facilities for Dogfish Head mm-hmm. to build to that higher you know capacity right, right. And, and and then also what i had mentioned before too is if let's say that you know samuel adams uh sells very well in nebraska and they're about to get a 600 percent increase in their tax but dogfish head isn't available in nebraska and it sells very well in these other states that have lower tax well you can you can spread that cost out of nebraska so that it doesn't affect the cost of your beer in nebraska so mm-hmm. and that and that is very helpful as well so um, you can you can spread costs a lot too to keep things pretty standardized across the board. Yeah, economics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the you know, but that's the you know a lot of the economies of scale advantage. And I think this is kind of you know one of those things is like Jacob hit on there is a lot of the advantages of economy of scale, and especially in its description, is mainly like getting around the government. Yeah, that's like, true. Yeah. Oh, I already know how to what it takes to sell beer in Alaska. So you yeah. know, you're just bringing in a new, like a new product, your line dogfish head, as opposed to I'm a new brewery calling Alaska going, so what are the rules? Who do I have to pay? What do I have to do all this? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's true. And this, I mean, I guess this kind of brings it back around to, you know, the anarchy portion, how much government is in your drink. A lot of government is in your drink and what's available around you. And that there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of breweries and a lot of wine producers and stuff like that. Um, that would rather just sell domestically, meaning domestic in their state, um, because it is difficult to enter a new state. And, and then, and there's a lot of additional federal regulations once you start crossing state lines. So, um, with, so if you merge, you just have the upper hand because one, yeah. you know what the hell you're doing, but also, I mean, you have a larger team and mm-hmm. you just have a lot more 
uh, yeah. brains to really, you know, right. find the loopholes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there really are any loopholes, because right. you know what you're doing, it if you're a company that's much more yeah. established, right. then it's kind of like you're already there. Yeah, and you and mm-hmm. you and you have substantial power over politicians and things like that because you know you know they scratch their the politicians back and the politician scratches their back. So it's you know this does bring it back kind of around to um, the topic of the show, which is uh, this is I, I think I'm very happy for the dogfish fed or dogfish fed dogfish heads uh founding family like they they made a lot of money and they worked really hard and it's a great beer um so i'm happy that they're making out but you know this is this this type of thing happens when you have a lot of government regulation is things do consolidate and grow larger uh because there is a huge advantage to growing larger whereas in a more free market people would potentially be more inclined to uh, compete against each other. Well, not even compete against each other, but maybe not even leave their region. Like, just kind of be happy to be the beer of this area. And, uh, which, you know, for better or for worse is, is one thing. But, you know, there, there, I mean, it, it, and it, I yeah. think that's more of like a subjective issue. Like, yeah. how big do you want to get? Right. And the more successful you become, yeah. then the more capital that you'll have to sure. invest in a larger team. Yeah. But it, but in, in our current situation, you're kind of forced to get bigger because if you remain small, um, the regular... you get taken advantage yeah, of by Well, the yeah, and the regulatory burden is very high and it... And so you kind of do have to do this. And, and you know, Dogfish had actually, ha- you know, in, our, in Mason's and my, well, my former state, Mason's current state, Dogfish had had issues with the Virginia Regulatory Agency because Mason's favorite beer, 120-minute IPA, has an inconsistent alcohol volume or alcohol ABV alcohol by volume. They did, yeah, previously. Um, but they they solved that and, and they've been able to do it. But you know, I, that's almost robbing it of one of its characteristics. Having that inconsistent ABV is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. and, and it's also mm-hmm. kind of upsetting too because, as Dave Smith says all the time, like you know, America used to be the smallest government, and now it's like the biggest yeah. government in the history of the world. And when it comes to, you know, economies of scale, like, yeah, it's great. It has its advantages. Yeah. But it's almost in a way that they had to fight fire with fire. It's like they almost had to become a state themselves over time to fight the state. Yeah, yeah, and the, and that's true. I mean, that's, you know, what that does happen, and um, it's kind of unfortunate. And this is so, you know, it, and it also robs a lot of character out of things because standardizing is very helpful in overcoming regulation. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why small companies have a very hard time in a lot of cases, particularly alcohol companies, is being unique is not always easy because a lot of times the regulatory agencies don't know how to deal with unique. So Unless mm-hmm. if you become uniquely large. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you become large, then you, you have a little bit more freedom to experiment. But – I mean, Mason, you and I have talked... But talk- uniquely large. Yeah. Okay, I- I'm done. <laughs> yeah, Mason, you and I have talked about this before, but like one of the things is uh, the federal label approval is that mm-hmm. all all alcoholic products have to have their label approved by the federal government. And if you Regardless are, if you're selling out yeah, of your state or right, not. Right. And if you are trying something very unusual, you know, I, I think the example I used before was like putting rhubarb in your beer or something like that. Like that's probably not unusual enough for it to cause a problem. But let's say you want to try something very unusual in your in your beer. That does come with some new regulatory hurdles to get that approved on your label. And and in the wine industry, that's only doing pies, damn it. Yeah, in well, in the wine industry, we have this issue because of uh, aviation. Blending? No, not the blending so much. As long as you, well, the blending could be because, like, let's say that let's say that you're a winemaker in Oregon, and you want to blend um, Cab Sauv from uh, you want to you want to blend Cab Sauv from Oregon with 
Merlot from Texas for some reason. I don't know why you'd want to do it, but you, that's what you want to do. Texas is awesome. Yeah, but that's what you want to do. That's the profile you're looking for. Well, what do you call that? So in according to the federal laws, and I may not be getting this exactly right, but according to the federal laws, you can't call it an Oregon wine because it, it you can only call it an Oregon wine if the grapes are from Oregon and it's made in Oregon or the grapes are from an adjoining state. Um, and I'm sorry, does that mean like bordering state? Yeah, what yep. do you mean adjoining? Yeah, adjoining. So it would be um, for Oregon, it would be, I guess, uh, Idaho, Washington, and California. And I think maybe Nevada touches it too. Okay, so border state. Yeah, so border state. Yeah. Um, but you couldn't call it a Texas wine for the same, re- the same reason. Uh, so this wine that you're Can making. Can you call it Torrigan? No, well, you probably you could probably call it Torrigan, and and but that would have to be the title. You'd have to call it Vinda America or something like that. So wine of America, which doesn't make any sense because it's America's huge. So it, and you couldn't say fifty fifty split Texas Oregon because you can't use those labels. So that's so that that kind of gets into the standardization. Is somebody who's like, well, I really want to do this, but. I don't know how to get this label approved and nobody wants to drink a wine of America because it doesn't mean anything. So, um, you know, what do I do? I mean, they may leave it out altogether and just try to get it approved as like, you know, red blend and, and not even put an origin on it. Cause I don't think you're required to put an origin. Do you know, do you know, Mason? I don't, you're not, you're not required to, I, I think you actually have to state the country of origin. Okay. Um, but like, that's the thing is like, not only do you have to get the label approved, you also have to get like the concoction of it that's true yeah that's true so like you can produce it and then like you know spend all this resources getting this you know made and then all of a sudden find out that it's not going to go through now i would like to talk to somebody and see how frequently it doesn't go through yeah you know like is it one of those it's just a rubber stamp thing yeah and then what's the whole point of doing it anyway right Right. And like, then, well, yeah, and then, yeah, but then you, you do, we do see, you know, in, in the case of, you know, the dreaded copper cane, um, <laughs> you know, they, they, uh, had two of their labels de-approved after they were already approved. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a problem as well is I, I don't know the, I don't know the ramifications of that. If they have to go back and relabel everything or if they have to relabel it going forward or what the deal is with that. But, um, you know, that's another thing is, is the government has an enormous amount of power. They can, they can change their mind and they do change their mind and cause you to have to go through the added cost of relabeling, redesigning, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and that does cost. I mean, like I'm a software developer. I just to do very minor changes, it's very expensive. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I wish that was money in my pocket, but some of it is in my pocket and some of it goes to the, you know, capital expense of the company and, and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I, it's no secret. Like I charge for my time, $200 an hour. Um, mm-hmm. and graphic designers do something similar. We have, we have graphic designers that work at my company and, and they charge, I think they charge roughly the same. I think they're, I think they're 190 or something like that now. I don't remember what it is exactly, but, uh, so if somebody came to us, one of the graphic designers at my company and was like, Hey, I want to change this from saying Oregon to saying America. Um, you know that costs two hundred bucks, <laughs> and then and mm-hmm. then you have to reprint the labels and so on and so forth. So yeah, and then uh, run it back up the chain. Yeah, and then, yeah. So so, anyways, uh, that's how much government is in your drink, or a little yeah. bit of it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to stop because it is. We're one hour into the show, so mm-hmm. uh, perfect. You want to give any last plugs, Mister Sue, before we do our plugs? Um, no. I mean, I am Mister Sue at Mister Sue. And you can get my podcast on any podcatcher that's out there in this quasi-fascist, quasi-socialist 
dressed up as capitalists, but nowhere close to the free market that we all wish that we lived in. But, you know, we got to make do with what we got. Yeah. And uh, today we got uh, – we, we have hope. Yeah. And we also have Childerberg that's coming up. So that's right. Yeah. Get your asses at Childerberg if it's not too late. But if it is, then uh, swing by Childerberg dose. Yeah. And then um, – you know, whatever language we choose for Childerberg 3. But, um, yeah, I, I do want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. I, I really enjoy I enjoy it, and I enjoy just what you learn from the articles that you choose from. And, I mean, this is why I'm so drawn to, you know, libertarian thoughts and just anarchy because, yes, it is depressing to find out how the state is taking advantage of you, but it's also great – to really learn like how because you know how to call them on their bowl next time it happens yes so exactly. it's really just the more you know but um thank you guys so much like i really am uh i'm i'm thankful and i i do feel blessed that you know i'm able to meet uh guys like you because of the internet of things yeah. and i'm stoked for Schoderberg. Yeah. yeah yeah so you can actually well, you, you can see here yeah you can see all three of us in person at Schoderberg. there are no campsites uh-huh. left but um there are hotels nearby and other campsites nearby and if you want to come out um that would be awesome to see you mason where can they reach out to us besides in person at Schoderberg? I was going to say, besides com, there's also tastinganarchy at gmail.com or tastinganarchy.com itself. If you'd like to leave comments, uh, we would love to see those. You can also email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com, which I just said, or follow <laughs> Jacob's shenanigans, also interacting with Mr. Sue on Twitter, tastinganarchy on Twitter. Um, yeah. I think that's those are our main adjoinments. Yeah. So tastinganarchy.com, big thing. Go there. All see right. stuff, do stuff. All right, well, join the newsletter. Yeah, that's yes. right. Join the newsletter. And by well, the t-shirts will be well, the t-shirt sales will be over by the time this comes out. But um, I guess that's uh, that's it, guys. So from beep 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 Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slop. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drink it wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton Sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine, he hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day, wine, wine for the other day, wine, wine for the other day, wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, 40, you're drinking wine.